And thank you so much. What a blessing to be in this place today. I appreciate Brother Case. They're on their way to uh, Branson. Uh, but I appreciate him so much preaching the early service this morning. And then Brother Nathan is preaching at 9.30 or has preached at 9.30. And you're stuck with me at 10.45. So uh, since I'm not preaching the first two, I've got plenty of time to go on, you know. The Cowboys are playing at noon. And that doesn't mean one thing to me. <laughs> it's America's team. God's in control. But I appreciate you being here this morning. We've gone through the last uh, four weeks uh, of the Advent candles. Barry's going to come and, and light our candles here today. We started out the uh, Sunday after Thanksgiving with the uh, faith candle. And then the next week we went with the hope candle. And last week we looked at the joy candle. candle. And today we look at the candle that represents love. Those four things are, are paramount to the advent of Jesus Christ. And then Wednesday night, we'll gather back here at 6.30 for a candlelight Lord's Supper uh, service, and we'll light the middle candle, which is the Christ candle, uh, which is really what it's all about. I hope you'll be back here for that. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. As we think about love, there, there, and you don't have to turn there. You already know it. Uh, just two scriptures this morning I want us to focus on as we think about love this morning. The first one, of course, is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then the second scripture I want us to focus on is Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Just a really short scripture. It says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The gift of love, the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. There was a gym dealer that was looking at the aisles of, in the Tucson Gym and Mineral Show years ago, he noticed a blue violet stone the size and the shape of a potato. He looked it over as calmly as possible. He asked the vendor, he said, uh, you're wanting $15 for this? The vendor looked at it and said, well, it, it does look rough. I, I'll take 10 for it. The guy paid him the $10, went and had it appraised, it was a 1905-carat natural star sapphire that appraised at more than $2.5 million for 10 bucks. You see, it takes a, someone who knows something about stones to understand what a stone is worth. It takes somebody who knows something about souls to understand what a soul is worth. And the only one that understands about souls is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one. He, he, Paul here, as he writes, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Paul was a great Christian. We, we strive to be like Paul. We, we love what Paul has uh, spoken and written and done. And, 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 but there's one thing. It's a shame that we can be saved the same way Paul could be saved. But it seems like we can't serve God the way that Paul served God. 
You say, how did Paul serve God? Well, I notice in Paul's life, there's never a dip. There's never a dip. Now, you, uh, you say, preacher, what's a dip? Well, Paul never had a slowdown. Paul never wandered away from God. It, it was never a decline. He, he never had a low period or a backslide or lethargic or forgetting God or staying away from God. From the time Paul was saved in Acts chapter 9 until the time in 2 Timothy 4 when he said, I finished my race, I finished the course, henceforth is laid up for me, there never was a dip in his life. Consistent for the Lord. Paul was human. Paul was sinful. Paul was tempted. (laughs) Paul was discouraged. Don't you know there had to be times when he felt all alone? There was contention in times. He didn't get along with all the brethren. And yet, he never had a dip. (laughs) You know why? He never lost sight of that gift. He never lost sight of what the Lord had done for him. And he served him to the end of his days. To the time that literally he was going into the guillotine to have his head cut off and put on a platter. He never, ever had a dip. You see, God didn't just give him something one day, but God kept giving and kept giving and kept giving and kept giving. Listen, God doesn't just give you salvation one day and turn you loose. He keeps giving and he keeps giving and he keeps giving. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. John 3, 16 is the magnifying glass of God's love for mankind. If there was one verse that summarized the love of God more than any other verse in the Word of God, it's John 3, 16. Now, let me just kind of break it down real quickly here. Uh, first of all, you've got to recognize it's the greatest love. The greatest lover of all lovers is in John 3, 16. It's God. It's the greatest degree of love that's revealed. He so loved us. He didn't just love us. He so loved us. It shows his magnitude of the love for us. It was God who did the loving. It was not you. It was not me. It was God so loved, past tense, indicating that he loved us before we were his children. Romans 5, 8 says God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The legislative work of God is detailed in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments. But the redemptive work of God is summed up in ten words in John 3, 16. God loved, world, gave, son, believeth him, perish, everlasting life. Now, God is the subject. He's not just a verb. People say, well, you're, you're doing the work of God. You're loving like God. And God does love. But listen, God is not just a verb. God is the noun. God is love. No one else like him. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Why? For God is love. 1 John 4, 16. We have known and believed the love that God had to us. God is love. 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed of us, upon us that we should be called the sons of God. How great a love. 
It's literally in the Greek saying, what an amazement. What, what, a, what manner, what kind of love is this, is what the Greek is saying. It is an amazing love. It's a magnificent love. It's not eros, the love of sexual relationships. It's not phileo, the love of friendship. But it's agapeo, the love of unconditional love that only God can give. I, I, I can understand being attracted to someone else who has attributes or attributes, however you want to say it. They say it both ways. I just want to be correct with y'all. I can understand. I was attracted to my wife because of her attributes. Amen? I can understand that. I'm not sure how some of you wives were attracted to your husband, but I, I can understand how we men were attracted to our wives. I understand that. But listen, can you fathom the idea that God loved you when he wasn't attracted to you? You were a sinner. He chose to love that which was repulsive to him. And yet he loves us. Our sin, we're repulsive to God, yet he's chosen to love us. 1 John 4, 10, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. 1 John 4, 19, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Our love for him is a reciprocal love. It's given back to him because he loves us. We didn't start loving God. God started loving us. So when we come to this Advent time and we think about love came down, my soul, the love of God, you couldn't, you can't explain it. It's inexplainable. Spurgeon said this. He said, what was there in the world that God should love it? Nothing lovable in the world. Enmity, rebellion, etc. Those were the thorns that covered the world. Yet the Bible says, God so loved the world. Amen? The love of God. And then I want you to note, it's not only uh, the greatest love, but it's an exceptional. It's exceptional. He said, God so loved the world. The greatest lover is God. The greatest degree is so love. But the greatest group is the whole world. The world includes the unlovable and the unlovely. It includes those whose hearts are burning for him and love him. But it also includes you today if you're sitting here and you've not fallen in love with him. God so loved you. He loved you, the world. From 1986 to 1990, Frank Reed was held in hostage in Lebanon. And for months at a time, he was blindfolded, living in complete darkness chained to a wall, kept in absolute silence. On one occasion, he was moved to another room, and, and, and he, although he was blindfolded, he could sense that there were others in the room with him. And yet it was three weeks before he dared peek out to see and discover that chained next to him was Terry Anderson and Tom Sutherland. He was beaten, made ill, tormented, but he said the most lack of anyone caring is what mattered more than anything else. It was like nobody cared. Nobody cared. Listen to me this morning. I don't care where you came from or who you are. God loves you. And God does care. 
and he reaches out to this whole world. Christians are never truly alone. We're fortunate to receive the gracious care through the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16 is an express of that love for us. And then it's costly. The Bible says that he gave his only begotten son. He gave the greatest gift, his son. Paul understood that. I think that's why Paul said uh, in the last time, you said uh, thanks unto God. He said thanks unto God for this unspeakable gift. Let me ask you, when's the last time you said thanks unto God? Now, that's kind of a loaded question because we just finished Thanksgiving, and surely some of y'all said thanks to God during Thanksgiving. But I want to tell you, it's a shame that we don't say thanks to God every day of the week, every morning when we get up, every day we go through. You know, we got, we, we got a whole list of things that God hasn't given us yet. How about let's stop in and thanking God for the things He's already given us? He's already blessed us. You get nothing under the tree this Saturday morning, thank God for your salvation. You go back to work in the new year and there's no raise, thank God you're saved. Things go wrong in your body and it begins to shut down and break down, thank God you're saved. Family doesn't appreciate your Christianity, thank God you're saved. You're limited at work in what you can do. Thank God you're safe. You live in a, in a wicked world and evil that doesn't love Jesus. Thank God in the midst of it that you're saved. Beloved, God's love was a dying love. The fact that he gave references Calvary. It references Calvary. God spared not his best. He gave his all. He didn't give one son out of three or one son out of four, even though I dare say, I'm just talking for myself, I'm not giving one of my two sons for any of y'all. I'll just be honest with you. I love them. And I'm, I'm not going to give them up. And yet God, in his love, you say, well, that was Jesus. No, don't get Jesus don't get the son confused with the father. Salvation goes back before the beginning of the world. God set all of this up. Our father is the one who loves us. Yeah, I know there's a trinity. I know there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But God set all of this up. It was God himself who came to Calvary. He was the one that died for our sins. His only begotten Son for us. Look, if God gave His best, don't you think we ought to give our best? I mean, don't you think we ought to quit? I, mm, well, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Some, some folk run around here hollering, I don't have it to give. I don't have it to give. The reason you don't have it to give is because you ain't never given nothing. You don't give anything, and God doesn't give anything to you. You learn to give, you be generous. Let me just kind of parallel park here and talk to the young people just for a moment. Young people, I love you. You know that? I do. I'm going to tell you the truth. I love you. We've got winter weekend coming up next month, and there'll be many of these adults here who will pay your way if you'll go to winter weekend. I'll guarantee you. And they'll pay your way with a smile on their face 
thanking God that they've got it to give to you. But some of y'all this year have a job this year that you didn't have last year. Hello? That means you get a paycheck each week. Amen? That means you need to learn how to tithe out of that paycheck. That means that when it comes to winter weekend, instead of saying, I got to have the whole money, you say, look, God bless me, I've got a job now. I can pay $10, I can pay $5, I can pay $15, and then, and then the church pay the rest. Huh? Am I the only one that's crazy? <laughs> hey, <laughs> let me tell you what else, young people. It won't kill you to take your parents out to supper every once in a while. You got a job now, they've been picking up the bill for years. Now, I'm not talking about going to Barron's or anything. I'm talking about something cheap, Taco Bell. They don't care where you take them. Half of them would have a heart attack if their kid walked up and said, Mom, Dad, I'm taking you all out to supper tonight. It's on me. We got to learn to be generous. We got to teach our, listen, that don't come naturally. You got to teach that. That's got to be taught, and it needs to be taught. Preacher, I'm not giving because they've got more than I have. The giving's not about them. Hey, listen, it's about you. That's what the giving is about. It's not to bless somebody else, even though it does, but it's to bless you. Paul said, I thank God. Now, make sure you get the object of the giver straight, too. We're talking about God Jehovah. We're talking about Elohim. Thanks be unto God this morning that we're not aimlessly bowing down and praying five times a day to Mecca. Thanks be unto God that we're not trusting in Buddha or Muhammad. And we're not praying to some pope or a priest or even Mary. Thanks be unto God that we're not cutting ourselves up and blood flowing everywhere, part of some cult. We're not worshiping some cow. We're not working our way to heaven. Thanks be unto God that we know God. Woo! Have mercy. And then it's encompassing, all-encompassing. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that whosoever, whosoever, his love's not just for the powerful. His love's just not for the rich. His love's not just for the educated. It's not just for the white. It's not just for the black. Whosoever. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then fifthly, I'm almost through. It's limited in its awarding. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him. Mm. Now that's simplicity mentioned there, especially in our day and time, because we're just simply saying, well, you believe in God. Well, believe has a different connotation than what we take now. It's a little more serious than what we believe. And then not only that word believe, but that little bitty word uh, in, that little conjunction word in, in the Greek is much better translated into. It, it, it's, it's into. It, it, it's un, uh, uh, encompassing. Believeth in him. 
into. Uh, an example. Let me just give you an example because I love examples that are dear to my heart. I love elevators. I keep telling myself I love elevators since I was stuck in this one over here for two hours and 44 minutes. You take an elevator, and you walk up to it, and you see that elevator, and the elevator opens. You believe in elevators. There's an elevator. How could you not believe in elevators? There's an elevator. You see people get on the elevator. They go up somewhere. You see the elevator car come down. It's empty. It does what it does. You believe in elevators. You believe in it. The door opens. You see people get on, go up. You see people come back. It does what it's supposed to do. You believe in an elevator. But you don't believe into that elevator until you walk in that elevator. That's not believing it. Listen to me. There's a lot of folk here to know that know about Christ. And they've been in Christ. But you've never come into Christ. You've never left it all at the altar and all at the cross and said, Lord, I'm not coming to the cross. I'm coming into the cross. I'm coming all the way through. That's the awarding here. He that believeth in him. A lot of folks know about Jesus. All you got to do is read Matthew 7, 21. Many are saying that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we know you? We cast out demons here. We did all this stuff. And what's he going to say? Depart from me, ye that work in the iniquity. I never knew you. Listen, you better make sure this morning, I'm talking about this morning, you better make sure you don't just know about Jesus, but you're into Jesus. You believe it into him. And then it's outstanding in the job that it does. The Bible says, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him should not perish. What, 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 what a promise. Now that word perish does not mean annihilation, but a final destiny of ruin in hell is what that means. You say, how in the world could God punish sinners in hell? Well, because God's holy. I've reminded you before, I'll remind you again, hell is not full of people that God rejected. Hell is full of people that rejected God. Revelation 21.8, the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 1 Peter 1.16, because it's written, Be ye holy, for I'm holy. The Lord is also loved. He, his will is not anybody perish. God doesn't want you to perish. He loves you. The Lord's not slack, 2 Peter 3.9, concerning his promises, some men count slackness. But he's long-suffering to usward not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to ruin. Aren't you thankful that God is long-suffering? I'll be honest with you. I, I, I get on the edge, and if I'm not careful, my big prayer is, Lord, just come on right now. Just come on right now. I mean, I'm ready to go right now. And I'm forgetting that there are many people that God is long-suffering toward like he was with me. And even this morning, some of you have had time after time after time to come and accept Christ, and you've said no. You've said no. No. God's not long 
He is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. And then the last thing, I'm through. It's eternal. <laughs> God's the love of the world. He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish. What? But have everlasting life. It's eternal. Wow. That, that's the greatest certainty that I have. The gospel story begins with God and it ends with everlasting life. <laughs> For all of eternity. For all of eternity. It begins with one who has no beginning and it ends with one who has no ending. I'd say we're in pretty good shape. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed. First John, there's so, let me just give you five things here. He first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. That's why you ought to love God. He first loved you. He hears my prayers. He hears your prayers. Thirdly, he cares for me, preserves me, and rewards me. Psalm 31, 23, O love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. He overrules for our good. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for when you don't have sense enough to know what you need, God overrules in your favor and gives you what you need and not what you want? Romans 8, 28 tells us that. He's generous with us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, I had not seen nor ear heard what the Father hath in store. Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God prepared for them that love him. We owe so much. So much to the Lord. I uh, hesitate to close with this, but it fits good, and, and I've used it before. It's a true story, though. It's not a, it's not a fable. It's not a make-believe. It's a true story. The story of John Griffin. He grew up with a dream in his heart, a dream of travel. He wanted to travel to faraway places and see exotic sights, and man. <laughs> his own consuming passion of life. But in the stock market of 1929, all of that crashed. And the Great Depression settled in on the land. Oklahoma was his native state. It, it turned into a dust bowl. And so he got his family, packed up his wife, his tiny baby boy, and their belongings in an old car and looking for greener pastures. Ended up, Dennis Hesley tells the story in 1937, he brought his eight-year-old son, ended up on the edge of the Mississippi River and got a, a job uh, opening up the bridge for the train as it came through. In 1937, he brought his eight-year-old son, Greg, to work with him, see what Daddy did all day. He watched with amazement as the huge boats would steam up and down the Mississippi River and the bridge would come down and the train would come roaring over and they got up looking at everything, and he kind of lost track of time. Twelve o'clock came. The father put up the bridge, but there were no trains good for a good while. And so he, he went out on the catwalk there, and he was showing Greg all the different things. And they ended up uh, sat down with their brown bag and began to eat their lunch. And, and uh, the father was telling Greg about all the strange faraway lands he wanted to go to. Time whirled by suddenly. Reality, he heard a train whistle. 
He quickly looked at his watch and saw it was time for the Memphis Express. Had 400 passengers on it. Be rushing across that bridge in just a couple of minutes. He knew he had just enough time to get up there and, and lower that bridge. He leaped to his feet, jumped to the catwalk. He told his son, he said, don't move. Stay right here. Stay right here. He got up there to let the bridge down. He looked up the river, down the river, looked over, nothing, no boat coming. As he began to think about letting the bridge down, he looked down and he saw his eight-year-old son with his britches caught in the cog of the wheel of the bridge. And he was faced with a decision, true story, of either letting that bridge down and crushing his eight-year-old son or leaving that bridge up and probably 400 passengers would be killed. He let that bridge down, crushing his son. Lowered into place. As that train come roaring across there, he saw men reading the afternoon paper. He saw people drinking coffee with their little finger up. He saw games going on and people laughing and looking at their stopwatches and ladies eating ice cream. Nobody, nobody looked in the control room. He sat there weeping. He was saying, what's wrong with you people? I just sacrificed my son so that you could live. I wonder sometimes if the Lord doesn't say that to us. I wonder sometimes if God doesn't say, look, hey, what's wrong with you people? Doesn't anybody care anymore? I mean, we don't even care enough to pray for our lost family. Altars are empty. Churches all over are empty. People's got different excuses and different reasons. And God's saying, has nobody heard me? Has nobody heeded me? Do you heed the message today? The message is that God loved us enough to send Jesus to die on the cross. It's what love is. It's real love. It's real love. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ, never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, I can tell you right now, you know, we live in a world, everybody wants a better offer. I mean, you offer a ball player $20 million a year, but he'd like to have 25 Let me hold out and see if I can get a better offer. Listen to me close this morning. There's no better offer on the table. It's Jesus or nothing. And I want to tell you, I got a lot, a lot of weight on my shoulder. And I got a lot of things, my soul, that keep me up at night. But there's one thing I don't have. I'll never have to stand before God and say, God, they were in the church service on December 19th, and I didn't tell them the truth. I lied to them. I'm not going to have to do that. I'm telling you the truth this morning. You can heed it, and you can be saved, 
You can come to this altar and you can pray. You can recommit your life. You can do whatever you need to do. Or I'll be honest with you, you can walk right on out that door and go right on about your business. Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't draw you, it's not going to do any good anyway. So I'm counting on Him. <laughs> Father, Lord, in the name above every name, the precious name of Jesus, 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 through the blood of Jesus, Lord, would you save souls this morning? Lord, this very day, would you break hearts? Would you fill these altars with people here at Christmas as we sit and enjoy the fact that we're saved and we know God? And there are people all around us that's never even heard the name Jesus. God, break our hearts. Lord, I pray for our families and our loved ones, our friends. I pray for every person that's in this place today. God, would you please have your way. Don't, don't let us leave here the way we came in. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for everything you do in this service. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? I'll meet you here at the front if you need to come. These altars are open. Not going to linger a long time.